there are services out there that really help the business owner get started. You know, they they help you get your EIN. They help you get all of those types of things. That is better than nothing, you know. Um, but I would say the best course of action is to hire a local attorney to actually go through it with you and make sure everything is okay. And if you're going to enter into a business with somebody else, I think it's paramount that you hire a lawyer to do it. Hi, and welcome to Startup Marketing, the podcast created with female founders in mind. I'm Caitlin Pyatt, owner of Authentic Branding and Marketing, and I'm a marketing coach who teaches female startups how to brand, market, and grow their small businesses. I spent 10 years working in the corporate world before starting Authentic, and no matter where I'm working, I love branding and marketing. And now I'm here to break down my exact blueprint to starting a business, branding it, and marketing it for growth. Together, we can build something crazy successful. Let's get started. Welcome to Startup Marketing. I'm excited to have Cindy Flynn of Heckler Flynn & Associates with me today. Cindy is the founder and managing partner of Heckler Flynn & Associates, a Southern California-based employment defense law firm. Since starting her practice, she has grown the firm to a team of 10, with each attorney having over a decade of experience. The law firm's focus is employment law, where their mission is to protect and defend entrepreneurs and business owners. Cynthia has been voted as a super lawyer every year since 2017 and for the last three years has been named as a Pasadena top attorney. Now, I've been thinking a lot about having a lawyer review all of my contracts and LLC documents recently because I have gone through services like Inkfile and HoneyBook for those types of things. So this conversation came at a perfect time for me and I think you're going to find a ton of value in it. Let's dive in. Hi, Cindy. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Caitlin. So good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I am super excited for this conversation because I have been thinking about legal stuff for a very long time and I've been super nervous to dive into it. So you reaching out via Hey Mama came at a perfect time. And I genuinely think that I'm going to learn a lot today too. So I'm very, very excited about this. All right. So tell me, tell me a little bit about your background and what you do today and how you kind of got to where you are. So I am a business and employment lawyer. I pretty much always knew I was going to be a lawyer to help small businesses. As a kid, my parents ran a printing company in California, and I got to go in and file papers and staple brochures and, you know, all the things that a five-year-old can do. And I got to see firsthand growing up what it was like to run the business and what it was like to have employees. And over the years, you know, so many employment issues and business issues cropped up for my parents that it really tore them apart. And unfortunately for them, they ended in bankruptcy and divorce. I wasn't an attorney at the time to save them, but um, all these things really caused problems. And so in high school, I um, decided to get a job at a law firm, and I ended up being there for eight years through high school, college, law school, um, always knowing I was going to be a lawyer, not a bankruptcy lawyer, not a divorce lawyer, but a lawyer to really help 
businesses. And um, after spending eight years at that firm, I graduated law school and then um, worked for a few different firms and then started my own practice. And since starting my own practice seven years ago, I've hired five people from that firm to come work with me today. So, oh, um, so cool. we, we've known each other for quite some time. That's awesome. So you help a lot of entrepreneurs get legal documents in place, start their businesses. Can you explain where a good first step is to start when you're thinking about or if you're ready to start a business? Absolutely. Um, so I come from a line of entrepreneurs. My husband's an entrepreneur. My brother's an entrepreneur. My dad's an entrepreneur. And so you really want to start with the, the entity formation. Um, and, you know, depending on what type of business you're in, I, I started my firm as just a solo practitioner. So I was just myself. Um, and then after I made sure it was going to work and, you know, got a few clients and really started like generating things, then I went ahead and formed my business entity. And, um, you know, depending on what state you're in, you're likely either going to be an LLC or corporation. There are variations of those types of businesses. And you always want to talk to a CPA as well when deciding what entity formation you're going to use um, so that they can guide you for tax related purposes. But, um, but yeah, you want to get your business formation set up. And then you also want to see if you need any specific um, local city or um, county licenses or permits. You know, if you're in the food industry, you have a lot of food permits to get with the health yeah. department and those types of things. Um, if you're if you're just a standard service type business, you probably just need a business license. Um, and, you know, we actually have a couple um, security guard companies we represent. And so they need special licenses mm -hmm. for theirs. So it's important to do a little bit of research on the type of business you're going into to see if there's any, you know, obviously federal and then state and then county and then local licenses or permits. Okay. So there's, there's a lot more that goes into forming a company than you kind of initially think about. So one thing I know is there's, there's services like Inkfile or LegalZoom, and I'll use my own specific case to kind of outline the, the route that I went. So I tried my darndest to navigate my state website. I'm in Nebraska. And so to kind of like figure out what are all the documents that I need, what exactly, what forms do I have to fill out? Who do I file them with? And I spent probably five days going in circles on my state website. And so finally, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go with, I used Inkfile, which I loved. It made it super easy. Is that okay? So like they got my EIN, they got all my federal documents, they got my state documents filed, helped me check for like trademark or anything like that, that I, to make sure that I wasn't using something that's already in use in my state. And then I followed up with a tax accountant to make sure that I got all of, you know, cause there's some additional things that came shortly after that were required by the state. And so basically I used them to kind of file all of these documents. And I felt like, or I feel like that was okay. I got, I have all of the appropriate numbers and my tax accountant seems very happy with me. 
So is that's that? Great. <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggest thing. I was like, is my tax accountant going to be happy with me? That's my number yes. one goal. In yes. Every <laughs> but are services like that okay to use, or is it is it better to kind of go through and do the process yourself? So that's a great question. And there are services out there that really help the business owner get started. You know, they, they help you get your EIN. They help you get all of those types of things. That is better than nothing, you know. Um, but I would say the best course of action is to hire a local attorney to actually go through it with you and make sure everything is okay. And if you're going to enter into a business with somebody else, I think it's paramount that you hire a lawyer to do it. If it's just yourself, you know, I mean, LegalZoom, Inkfile, any, any type of service like that is probably fine, at least to get you like up and running. You know, it's, yeah. it's when you have um, somebody else in your business or an outside investor or something that isn't just something that you can download off the internet, you really want to run it by an attorney. Um, those things can get super complicated very fast. And I can't even tell you how many times we've had to look at something that somebody downloaded off the internet, a client of ours, and we're like, wait a second, did you mean to say X, Y, and Z? And they're like, no. <laughs> we're like, okay, well, yeah. So, I've also had clients, you know, download something or cut and paste a bunch of different agreements together and kind of do it themselves. Okay. And the do it yourselfer is great on so many things, right? If you're building a table, do it yourself. If you're, you know, if, <laughs> if you're. Legal um, advice doesn't plain, seem like that. Yeah, right. Legal advice is a little bit more complicated than that. And so, um, you know, if you're entering into agreement with somebody else, I would really strongly recommend you hire an attorney so your interests are protected. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, and the other thing too that I think is probably helpful, and I know like I got some guidance from my tax accountant, just and I think they gave it to me as like good to know stuff, but. Mm -hmm there's there's different types of LLCs, like you mentioned, like there's kind of the standard traditional LLC that a lot of people think of, there's sole proprietorship, there's S-Corps. Can you kind of explain the difference between them? And then again, you know, tie that in. I think that all comes down to when you're working with, if you're working with a lawyer to get set up, they're going to be able to kind of explain all of this to you and help you choose because they do have different implications when it comes to taxation and filings and things like that. What's going to be the best option for you and your specific entity? Absolutely. It really depends on the type of business you're in. You know, I mean, I mentioned earlier, like I started out as a sole proprietor, right? And I think a lot of people do because it's more important to get that first one client rather than have your business cards and your website set up, right? Like if no one knows about you, no one's going to go there. Um, so getting that first client and making sure that this is going to be something before you invest in a lot of time and money creating an yeah. entity. 
Um, now, there, there are different types of entities, like you mentioned. You know, there's the corporation. There's two types. Well, there's really one type of corporation you form, and then you either elect to use S-corp status for a tax filing purpose or C-corp status. And your accountant helps you, um, you know, make it either a pass-through entity as an S-corp or double taxation for a C-corp. Um, and then there's also different types of LLCs. There's, you know, an LLC, which is a limited liability company, and then there's a limited liability partnership. And then if you have a special license, like lawyers have, um, you know, their license by the state bar, they sometimes create a professional corporation or a limited liability partnership. And so it depends if you have any higher level licensing by the state on which one to go through. Um, mm -hmm. And in, in, I, I'm licensed only in California, so I, I only advise clients based on California law. And one thing a lot of people don't realize is that they create this entity and in California, if an employee sues you, oftentimes they can sue you as an individual. So it doesn't matter whether or not you have this corporate veil or corporate shield with an LLC or a corporation. It just, it doesn't matter. There's personal liability there. So if you're starting to grow the business and hire an employee or two, I think that that's something um, that a lot of people want to look into in their specific state to see if there's something similar to California or not, because that might make some differences on how you uh, sure. grow your business. That makes a lot of sense. And I think um, as you're talking, I'm kind of making all these mental notes to like go back and check on all of these things. It's just me right now. Um, but as you kind of, as I grow and things like that, you know, I hope to be able to hire employees and things. And so just being able to kind of like check on all of this stuff and really make sure that it's locked tight. Having a lawyer look over all of my things is something that is kind of on my list. When, but I know for me personally, I, I go like my funds for starting up are so limited. Like, and I think that's where a lot of people start out with. So how do you, and I know one thing I struggled with too, was even knowing like what kind of lawyer I needed to contact and like where to start. And I was, I was so nervous to like, is that something I shop around when I'm starting out? You know, do I contact a bunch of different firms and get like quotes and things from them? Do I go with the first one that I find? If I don't have somebody that I know that's like, hey, work with this person, how do people go about like finding a lawyer to work with and how, you know, what's that process? Yeah. So the best way to find a lawyer, of course, is a personal referral from somebody that you know and you like and you trust. Um, if you don't have a, that sort of connection, there are a couple sites. One is Avo and it's a bunch of lawyers on there and they have ratings or they have, um, they have like a one to 10 scale rating. They also have client reviews on the website. So you can look up like AVO, A-V-V-O, and find like local lawyers who are specializing in what you're looking for. They even have specifically startup company lawyers. Um, they have like, you can look for a business lawyer, you can look for an employment lawyer, but lawyers are very different. You know, um, if you're 
if you need a family lawyer to help with either an adoption or a divorce or something like that, that's not get the same person you that's not going to be the same person you go to if you need to get out of jail, right? Or you get a DUI. That's like lawyers are very specialized in what they do. And so you just want to be cautious that you're not going for someone who can do your probate and your divorce and your business, you know, you want, you kind of want like those different things. Just like when you go to hire somebody to help you build a house, you don't hire just one person to do your electricity and your plumbing and your foundation. You hire like those specialties. So if that's one piece of advice, but oftentimes too, though, lawyers know other lawyers. Um, so I'm always a resource for my clients. If they need another type of lawyer, I'm always happy to introduce them, but I very much stay in my lane on, you know, the area of law we practice. Right. That, that totally makes sense. So now that I'm all legally set up, I'm ready to go as an entrepreneur. I thought about one thing briefly, but I didn't really explore it a lot was the idea of trademarks and, because I just don't really, I don't know what I can trademark as a new business, things I should be trademarking. Is that even something that starting out I need to worry about? Or is that like a thing down the road that I can be like, okay, and then when down the road would I worry about it? Yeah, I think it's good to always do a trademark search yourself. You know, you can do that pretty easily at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and see if the name is available. Um, If you're interested in a specific name, sometimes clients have issues on, you know, they want to trademark something that's either already been taken or a spinoff has already been taken. Like I had a client want to use the term do good, D-U, like the German pronunciation of do for do good snacks. And it was too closely related to do good bars. Um, So, you know, we um, had to rethink that very creatively and and get that trademark for him. But um, it can, it can just depend. And then sometimes it's just dependent on who you get as on the other side of the trademark office, really, um, the examiner, because she can or he can make that call. And you know, you're like, do D-U is different than D-O, but uh, they're pronounced yeah. the same. So sure. um, it's, it's based on human, human error, I guess, or human um, uh, control Thought. over yeah. whether or not you get it. Um, and then I would also say, too, you know, sometimes businesses pivot so much in a few months or in the first year where you think you're going into business A and you realize that there might not be a market for that. So you want to pivot slightly and add something or do a twist on something original and go to, you know, selling product B instead. And so, I mean, you definitely, if you make that decision to switch, do a quick trademark search, make sure, but you also want to get it into the stream of commerce, right? You want to start selling it so that you can kind of place your roots in using that trademark, even if you don't have it fully trademarked yet. Um, But it's something to be cautious of and carefully consider because you don't want to spend a lot of time, effort, money, and energy building a brand that somebody else already has the rights to. So it depends what type of business you're in and 
and you know a whole host of other things but it's definitely worth doing a trademark search yourself just to see what's out there or even and in addition a google search too to see if anyone is out there right. selling a product similarly to that yeah so you can trademark your business name then you can yeah okay but That's but some things that you know you might not be able to trademark is like the word um, Olympics, you know, that is right. a recognized world term. And we've had clients in the past try to do a spin on that term. And the trademark office say it's way too closely related, you yeah. have to come up with something else. So you have to be you have to be careful on the things that you can't trademark. But that's kind of an example. Right. So as a as a service provider, are there things that I can trademark? And I see this all the time on Instagram. And I, again, I've just never, like, I don't have anything right now that I'm interested in trademarking, or at least I don't think that I have anything. But I see a lot of times, like, there are these coaches um, that have, like, trademarked their, um, I don't know if you want to call it their style or whatever the name of their, like, coaching class is. So if it's, like, you know, mastering your boss babe mindset. I don't even know if that's one that I've actually seen, mm -hmm. but you know, you see the little TM behind it. Is that something that you can trademark a process? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can, you can copyright things. So like if there is a specific process, um, you can trademark a name, you can trademark a logo, a mark, something like that. Absolutely. And so then what would be the advantage versus the disadvantage? So if somebody is listening and they're going, okay, that's great, but you know, working with somebody to trademark these things, or it just, it sounds like it might be expensive or it's gonna cost some sort of investment that maybe I just don't have right now. What would be the advantage or even the disadvantage of choosing to do or not to do a trademark on something? You know, I, I, I just think you want to spend a little bit of time getting something up and running before you spend the money and the legal fees to trademark it, right? Just make sure yeah. that it's going somewhere rather than spending all this money because, I mean, I hate to say it, but so many businesses fail every single year or you get bored with it or, you know, you find a job again or or so many different things can happen. And so yeah. before you spend money on either setting up your entity or your trademark, just be sure that it's something that you're passionate about that you want to do and that you want to invest in because right. um, the advantage of trademarking it is this, if that somebody else is using it, you can send them a cease and desist letter. You can get damages from them for using it and for copying you. Um, you know, if you don't do that, you might lose your right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So, all right, there's a ton of things we've already unpacked when it goes to setting up a business. When it comes to things like terms and conditions or privacy policies, can you tell me who needs them? Why do they need them? And are these things that are just specific to people who are selling physical products or does it go for someone like me who's a service provider? Yeah, I mean, all service um, websites need terms of use, um, there are terms and conditions, terms of service, privacy policies if you're collecting any information from um, your clients, if you're having them input any um, uh, 
um, obviously any credit card information. You want to make sure that you're not uh, selling it. You want to let them know that. Um, those types of things are pretty boilerplate. But sometimes, you know, if there is a dispute with a client down the road, like a refund policy, you want to be sure that your refund policy is consistent with state law and then also weaved into your terms and conditions. So, so an example would be you want to have like that special check mark box when somebody goes to check out on your website if you are selling a physical product that you agree with the terms and conditions um, regarding the product that you're purchasing from the website. Yeah, that makes a ton of a ton of sense. And it's something that I've wondered about because like as so someone who's new, I started my business in January, as someone who's new to taking on clients and things like that, I use a service called HoneyBook. And you and I have talked about this a little bit before mm -hmm. already, but for the benefit of our listeners, it's a, you know, it's a service that a lot of other entrepreneurs tout and are like, this is really great. And it comes with kind of these pre-templated contracts. Now, is that kosher to use? Am I good using that? Is it something that it's like, stay away from these types of things? You know, I think using something is better than nothing. Um, and hopefully at some point a lawyer had drafted it, you know, um, and I think the more your business grows, the more dialed in you need those contracts to be, those privacy policies to be, those terms to be, all those types of things. And so it's, um, it's more important kind of the bigger you get, the more customers you have. Um, so I think starting out with it is great, but there becomes a certain point or there comes a certain point where yeah. you really should get it looked at by, by an attorney. Yeah. Is there, how do I know when that point is? Is it like when I've taken on a certain number of clients, is it just when I have enough money to pay for it? Where do I draw that line? That's a good question. And I really think it's different for every business. You know, some people their first year of business do maybe $10,000 in revenue that might not make sense. But if you have 100 clients that would make sense, or if your clients are all paying $10,000 each, maybe once you get to 10 clients, that makes sense. So right. it's, it's hard to say for businesses, um, at what point that comes. But I would strongly recommend as just a rule of thumb, maybe that after a year, you like do a little bit of an inventory and see like, okay, how many clients do I have? Has there been any problems in the last year that I didn't anticipate to begin with, like a refund policy or like a client, you know, wanting to um, do something out of the ordinary that you're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. So I think just sure. doing a yearly intake is key with all of your forms. And we recommend that with employee handbooks, um, in, especially in California. We like to yeah. be pretty employee friendly. So just having that review once a year, um, just to make sure everything is still like on the up and up and that no major laws have changed and, and that your, your business is still protected. Right. So this is kind of making me think of too something that I was dealing with a lot as I was leaving the corporate world and 
haven't circled back to as my own small business, but you talk about like, you know, privacy policies and things like that. Um, you know, when it comes to websites and collecting information, or I think about even like, I use Calendly to schedule um, various things. And one of them would be, um, you know, where I collect a credit card for upfront for a service, like a 30 minute um, upgrade to a package that I sell. So where, and I'm, I'm thinking back through this like whole process, right? And I'm going, huh, I don't know if I like have that. I know I, like I don't have a privacy policy for my own website, but I think about like when I'm using a service like Calendly, do I rely on them having these policies in place when it comes to like co collecting a credit card? Or is that something that rests on me as a business to say, hey, you should have that privacy policy and like people should understand how you're collecting the credit card information, even though it's through a third-party service? That's a great question. And I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it does, the burden is going to fall on you. You are choosing which sites to use. And so you want to make sure that you are, you know, following the rules or you are in line with those third-party websites. Um, but I think that just as an aside that you need to have a privacy policy and terms on your own website and to have a local yeah. lawyer look at them and draft them for you. Um, you can also, you know, try the do it yourself method, like putting something together and then having someone <laughs> review it just so that it's consistent with, you know, your local state law as well. Sure. Um, and one other thing, Caitlin, just because yeah. I'm seeing it a lot in California, um, a lot of websites are getting hit with um, ADA non-compliance. So this is federal law um, to where, you know, it, a brick and mortar building, you know, the handicap wrap has to be a certain height and your hallways a certain um, width and your mirror in the bathroom a certain, you know, length. Um, and all of those things are in brick and mortar. But now businesses are being sued for lack of compliance with ADA regulations mm -hmm. on a website. So if you have the wrong color scheme or it's hard to see or you don't have the ability to get around the website just using the keyboard, um, it, can, it can be costly. So it's, it's my version of what I'm calling legal extortion. Um, because people generally just want to make a quick dollar from a business owner, unfortunately, but something to, something to keep in mind and in the back of your mind, um, yeah. to make sure that your website's ADA compliant. No, totally. I, um, I worked in the credit union space before I started my business and ADA compliance was like a huge, I mean, it like triggered so much anxiety among our executives and there I will say like I have not necessarily found like a great solution for small business owners when it comes to like monitoring your ADA compliance and things like that on your website because I know like when I was in my corporate job there was a service and they were fantastic but um, it was a plugin that went on to the back end of the website that monitored and it sent alerts anytime something didn't comply it linked you directly to the regulation and then it gave the website developer the access to like 
say, here's what you need to change and here's how you can correct this, right? And so for me, it was easy because I was just, I mean, not easy. It was dollars spent, (laughs) but it was a lot of dollars spent to monitor all of that stuff. And I think about, um, I just had this conversation with my best friend um, because she had somebody who who made like a comment and she was like, I'm not sure if this is like ADA or if they're just being mean or like what they're saying. Um, But advice for small businesses who don't have the resources to invest in something like that, is it just having somebody who reviews that for you? If you're not outsourcing your website, if you're not doing all of that stuff. You know, your website developer, you should have a conversation with them, honestly. Um, I think that's where you want to start. And then if you're really, um, you know, conservative with it, you can hire an outside firm who specializes in ADA compliance um, just to make sure that it's, you know, fully on the up and up. But start with your website developer. That's going to be the easiest way to go. Or use a platform that... um, might have some plugins that you can use pretty easily integrated into your website. Yeah, for sure. So at least it's something, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. Um, And even I've heard this was something that we were in the process of developing when I left my corporate job, a policy um, that lived on the website talking about the steps you take to comply with ADA and kind of your ongoing commitment just to show and demonstrate that like, Hey, I do pay attention to this and I am trying to be aware of it. And I do make continuous improvements in that area. Um, Whether or not, you know, and every state is different. I know in Nebraska, those cases were having a hard time getting off the ground, but in other states, they, they were, you know, the people who are bringing those lawsuits against um, organizations were having a lot of success. And so it was always just, like I said, a little bit of a triggering moment for people to be like, this is not, you know, this is not a space that you want to be in. Um, So definitely something, so terms and conditions, privacy policies, they apply to all of us. So I think that's the big takeaway if you're a listener here, making sure that you are getting getting those things in order maybe sooner rather than later, um, because you just don't want to find yourself in a spot where you're like, well, shoot, what do I, (laughs) I'm in a spot now where somebody is, you know, maybe talking to me about legal recourse. And now I'm like, panicked that I don't have myself protected like I should. Um, So additionally, you not only work with entrepreneurs and solopreneurs in helping them get set up with their legal entities and all of these types of contracts, but you also deal with companies that already have gotten past the point of hiring their first employees, their small businesses. And now with today's environment with COVID, you have people who are sending their employees to work remotely. You have people who are saying, sorry, I still need you to come be in a physical space. So how do you see small businesses being impacted? And like, what kinds of advice are you giving when it comes to remote workers or having um, employees come on site still when it comes to dealing with COVID? Yeah. So, you know, uh we are really advising all of our clients to have their employees work from home if at all possible. 
you know, with COVID spiking again, we want to make sure that people are safe first and foremost. If you do have to have everyone in place, it's really important to have a coronavirus response plan in place. Um, it was required to reopen in California. Other states mm -hmm. have followed suit. We have um, a COVID-19 response plan. I'm happy to share it with anyone who wants it. If you just email me, my email address is Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, at HacklerFlynnLaw.com. And then we also have uh, a reopening your business playbook. And that comes complete with um, an addendum that you can add on to your current employee handbook. It's California compliant, so you want to have it reviewed by your local uh, state attorney. Um, and it also has a welcome back letter that you can use and, you know, welcome your employees back. But now that we're shutting down again, you may want to just <laughs> file that away until you need it to welcome everybody back and hopefully a future. Sure. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. When it comes to um, people like me who I maybe just work with um, a vendor, for example, who potentially ends up shutting down uh, due to COVID, or I'm working with a daycare, for example, and doing their marketing, what types of addendums or clauses do I maybe need to think about adding to my contract to or even just to protect myself, you know, my husband still has to, he's in the military, he still has to go and report and do his job and fly on an airplane. He gets sick and it potentially then impacts my ability to do my job. So there's a little bit of a kind of a two-way street for service providers. What types of things do we need to have in place to protect ourselves and, and quite honestly, to be fair and protect our clients as well? I mean, it just if you're going to see somebody in person, you know, wear the mask, have the, you know, proper PPE, uh, do as much as you can on Zoom, you know, just to, to socially distance and stay aware of that. Um, if you are seeing clients or you have to, you can have them sign a waiver. I don't know if it's going to hold up in court, you know, if someone gets sick yeah. with COVID, that is yet to be determined. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of litigation over that over the next few years. But, um, you know, just trying to stay as safe as possible. And, um, and it, it's hard, you know, with kids who are going back to school or have gone back to school or, you know, going into daycare. I mean, it's, it's unprecedented times, right? Like I hear that right. every day. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw a meme recently that was like, I don't know about you, but I could really go for some precedented times. Uh, I like, yeah. yeah, that is how I feel. <gasps> so true. I know. I hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's every marketer's like it's on the list of most hated marketing language today. Every right. marketers everywhere. <laughs> yeah. No, that that totally makes sense. There's there is a ton. I feel like that just kind of goes into this entire process, and then you layer COVID on top of it. Um, but I know like I've been, we have a little baby at home, so we've been very strict about, you know, like I won't, I've had clients ask, can you come meet in person? I'm like, no, for sure. <laughs> I am not mm -hmm. doing that. I am staying, I'm staying home both for me and my family, but also because I just don't want to assume that risk. Um, 
but I do, I see a lot of small businesses, especially like in my town that are like, you know, we just, we can't afford to not be here. And so if it's not just them, if they have employees, I think it's a really great thing and a great resource that you're offering to just help them understand, like, where do we need to be in all of this? Because I think the big takeaway from this entire conversation is just, you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're not protected. So investing up front in making sure that you have these things reviewed by your local lawyers who know your state law is really, it's insurance at the end of the day, and it's well worth the investment. Hopefully you never need it, but right. you do. Well, it saves and you time, money. Absolutely. And like, you know, every entrepreneur has their own risk tolerance scale, right? Like some are just crazy willing to bet it all on black. It doesn't matter. You know, others like to have every single insurance. They like to have their attorney review everything before anything even gets like put out there. And so it just depends on where you fall on the scale of your risk tolerance level and what you can do to bring down the risk. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Yeah. I, um, this has been super informative, not just for me on my, on my service side of things, but my, my best friend and I have an idea for an online clothing store and we, so listening to you, like kind of talk through this, I'm like, Oh, there's a lot of things that, um, just from our partnership standpoint, I feel like, um, you know, for the first little bit, we were like, it's fine. We can just kind of have like a gentleman's agreement because we're not investing a ton of time and money. But as I was, you know, setting up a Shopify store and stuff like that, all of these things about like sales tax and all these policies that you're talking about came up. And I was like, "Ah, I don't have anything in place. Um, And so this has been super helpful to kind of, you know, understand like, where do you, where do you prioritize? Like in the list of all the, all the expenses that a a startup or small business might have, like, where do you prioritize all of this stuff? So I feel like it's been very helpful for me. um, And I'm sure too, for a lot of my listeners who kind of have the same questions, but you're a little bit scared to ask because you're just, you know, you, it's this, this um, tug of war between like, logically, I know what I should do, but financially, (laughs) you know, I have a different story and where do I start? So it's been super helpful. um, And I really appreciate it. Where can listeners connect with you, um, especially if they're in California and they are able to work directly with you, but then also to get some of the um, information that you were talking about in terms of like the COVID packets and things like that, how can people connect with you? So um, I love email. Email is my favorite way to connect. Uh, My email address is just Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y at HacklerFlynnLawLAW.com. And then uh, our website is just www.HacklerFlynnLaw.com. Our phone number is 323-247-7030. I'm always happy to answer any questions I can. Of course, I'm only licensed here in California, but um, you know, to the extent I can help anyone, I'm always happy to do that. And then if you want any of the resources I, I listed today, um, just email me and I'll, I'll send you a checklist and anything you might need that would help you get started. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all of your expertise. It's been super beneficial to me and I'm sure my listeners as well. And I will have all of that information that Cindy just mentioned linked in the show notes. So make sure um, if you're interested, check those out and connect with her. And Cindy, thank you so much for your time and your patience getting on this call. It was a little rocky to start, but I really, I appreciate everything today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Caitlin. So much fun. Oh my gosh. Such a great conversation, right? I learned a ton about everything that really I should be doing for my business and why it's really super important to be working with a legitimate lawyer to get things like client contracts and my entity examined. It really just protects me and my clients. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please rate, review, and subscribe to Startup Marketing to help other women like you find this podcast. Until next time.